In this series of thoughts I've been sharing with you, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I can say it's probably my own devotions that once I go through them, I like to share them with you. And as I said at the very beginning, um, you, you'll never do wrong when you read just what the Lord had to say, what Jesus had to say. I call that primary source. Uh, you know, we're a faith, we're a religion, we're based on being Christ-like, like Christ, Christians. And so I, I like to see and read what he had to say about certain things. Then you can go check Google if you want, but I can tell you most of the time they're going to be wrong or have their own opinions. Today, the church. And I probably today, I'll, I may be pinballing a little more than usual, but that's all right. Um, I've, I've been, I guess, uh, not amazed, uh, but just curious at the attempt uh, to distance, let's say, churches to distance themselves from the idea of church, the word church, ecclesia. It's been a rather recent development in our culture. Um, I learned a long time ago in one of my classes that if you have a good name, a brand name, do not change it. Because when you do, it causes confusion in people. And I've never really understood, I've listened and I've read, uh, you know, people who have been critical over uh, against the church over the centuries and things. And while they may have some, some I, I think, valid things to say, it, it never reached the point where you can say unequivocally that the church, the church is bad, all right? There have been bad things that happen and there have been bad scenarios, but the church is not bad. So I've never really understood the concentrated effort to change or to divest the word church away from like a congregation and come up with other names, all right? Here are a few of these. Journey, bridge, foundry, mosaic, generation, impact, potential, epic, transformation, renovation, innovate, elevate, vertical, summit. Now that's pretty confusing to me. If they just said church, on there, I would know what it was. Jesus had something very specific to say about the church, and I would like to share that with you. It won't take me long today. I, I've learned I don't really like to add to the words of the Lord. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus had been teaching, and he came into an area of Caesarea Philippi, beautiful area, by the way. He asked his disciples, saying, well, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And he referred to himself as the Son of Man because that's what uh, people had referred to him. So the disciples said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some Elijah and others Jeremiah are one of the other prophets. Did you know that King Herod, he thought that Jesus Christ uh, was John the Baptist, had been resurrected, he had beheaded John the Baptist, and he was never able to, I think, outrun that nightmare 
that he had allowed to take place. Um, and so he began to wonder if maybe this was John the Baptist coming back to haunt him. Uh, so some had said they were John the Baptist. Some thought he was Elijah, uh, one of the prophets, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then he asked the disciples, he looked at them and he said, but, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's a very personal question. I'm sure there had been a, a bit of silence as they were standing there looking, and all of a sudden Simon Peter just uh, blurted out. He said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'll stop there, and let's just make a couple of comments. Uh, first of all, Jesus will always make an appeal to the multitudes, but he doesn't ask the decision from the multitudes. He always asks the decision personally. What will you do? Who do you say I am? And that's why it's so important that we come to a point that we understand that to follow Jesus Christ or to be a part of, let's say, the church, the fellowship of believers, that it has to be something that we have personally committed to, not, not to corporately, but personally committed to. Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ, as we understand, as we read, is not one among many. That's what others were saying during his time. Well, he could be a prophet. He was a good man. He was uh, maybe Elijah, John the Baptist resurrected. Maybe he was Jeremiah. Just one of many. But that's not what Peter confessed. What Peter said was, you're not one among many. You are one above everyone. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then looked at Peter and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and we'll come to this word, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, the grave, death. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why I said this morning, I would like to speak, there is a victory in Jesus in knowing, not just one great victory, but so many small victories that Jesus allows us to have. And one of these is that promise that the church will not die. No matter what other people say, no matter what's been written, and I read a lot this week just, just to see if there was any new notices about it. And, uh, you know, there's been quite a bit uh, said over the years, songs written, etc., etc. But as of yet, it has not happened. The church has not died, and according to what the Lord said, it will not the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, the first word I want to look at, and we'll be looking at a few words. The first word is, is rock, all right? When Jesus says to him, you are Peter, that's, that is Petros, okay? That means a small stone. You, we say sometimes a rock, but it's a small stone. But then he says, 
And on this rock, Petra, it's a different word. It's not a small rock, it's a mass. It's a mass, it's a huge sense of a rock. Much like uh, the same word is used when they uh, took the body of Jesus and they were going to bury him, and it says that they had, uh, they had cut his tomb out of a massive rock. It was just one big rock. So he says to Peter, Peter, you are, you are, that, you are a stone, but I'm going to build my church on a rock. And that rock, as we'll see, is what Peter confessed. It was on Jesus Christ. The church is built, exists, and only will survive when it is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. To find or to distance a church or a group or a gathering of so-called religious believers from that principle is a destined death of that so-called church. The church has to be uniquely Jesus Christ's body, as we will see. So when he says, I will build my church on the rock, it's the same. Remember when Jesus was teaching at the beginning of his ministry, and he said this, If anyone hears my words and listens to them, I will liken him unto a wise man, who built his house. And he says, he dug down until he built his house upon a rock. Petra, the mass, foundation, what it is. Churches today need to re-embrace what our uniqueness is. It's not our programs, shouldn't be. It's not, it's not how well we organize things, shouldn't be. It is on Jesus Christ and our faith and our belief in him. Because when we put our faith in him and trust what his words say, what he said was, the church will never die. It will never die. No matter. There may be discouragement. There may be, um, you know, kind of a... a cycles in a church or in the church uh, in the world, but it will not die as long as it is based upon the living Jesus Christ who we say we believe in. The scriptures tell us that when we read this, that a lot of times Peter is the foundation of the church, and we have some in the world that believe that. But the words don't lend itself to that. What the word says, what the words actually say is, Peter, you are that first stone. You are the stone. Now I'm going to build my church on a massive rock. And I think what he was saying to Peter is, you're that first stone. Because actually, this is the first time that any of the disciples had ever acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. This was the first time. But it would be many, many other times that soon the church or the fellowship and people would grow. And then when he says, I will build, I will build my church. Now that word means just simply the architect, all right? What Jesus says is, I will build my church. Meaning, he is the architect, he is the designer, he is the propagator. And it's not, nor do we have the license 
to be changing, to delineate, to demarcate. To, we don't have that license to do that because we're not the architect. We're not the builder. Jesus Christ is. And so when we read this, I read that as long as Jesus Christ is at, is at the center of a church, which we'll get to that word here in just a moment, but as long as he's at that center, then he has made a promise. As long as, as it's my church, it will not die, which I'll explain that here in a little bit. I think that what Jesus was meaning by, I will build my church, we look back over his ministry and we see how he would do things. Yes, he would speak to the multitudes, but how many of those, how many of those accounts do you remember compared to the accounts that he would talk one-on-one -on -one with somebody. You remember the woman at the well. You remember Zacchaeus up in the tree. You remember these individual particular instances where Jesus would come in and, and he would forgive them or he would help them. He would lift them up. He would heal them. That's how Jesus will build his church and how he has built his church. You know, it's the Lord who said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Time and time again, we read of Jesus' presence coming to the disciples when they were most discouraged, to the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. He comes and he encourages, he strengthens, he clarifies. Well, of course he does. He's the architect. He's the builder. And he knows what's needed among his people. We sometimes think we need other things, but it's the Lord who's designed this, and he knows what is best. In fact, the scriptures, Paul acknowledged that all things have been given to him, Jesus Christ, and he is the head of all things of the church, which is actually his body. So now we come to the word church. He said to Peter, he said, Blessed art thou, Simon of Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and I will build my church, my church upon this rock, church, ecclesia. What it actually means, it's a word that comes that we derive it from the Old Testament. And we have a lot of instances where it doesn't use the word church, but it uses assembly. It uses the gathering. And the scriptures tell us that the assembly of God's people was always distinctly different than the assemblies of all the other people. In other words, there should be a difference um, in a church or in the assembly of people of how we live in the world. There should be a difference. The scriptures tell us that the church is viewed differently than other races and other people. Paul wrote and he says to the Christians, he says, I don't want you to give offense to the Jews or to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So here he looks at the church as a distinctly different group of people. Well, why is that? Because that's how the Lord has designed it. That's how Jesus wanted to do it. Follow me, he said. This is what I want you to do. Follow me. Not the world, not them, not that, not this. You follow me. So when we look at the idea of church, when we start divesting ourselves from an identity of the church or the 
called out people or the assembly of people, we're actually, we're actually creating a distance between us, I think, and Jesus Christ if we're not careful. A lot of times people want to change names uh, like the church and get, because they want to appeal more to the world. And I understand that from a marketing standpoint, absolutely, I understand that. The only problem with that is if we're not careful, we become so much like the world that we have, as I said in class, we have nothing to offer to people of the world that's different because we're just like them. We're just exactly like them. So the church is uniquely different according to the Lord. He's the architect. He's the builder. And more than that, he says it will not die. It's not going to die. Now, I think that that's why the Bible encourages, the scriptures encourage us to not think about the church as just the building, which we do. I'm, I'm no different than you are. I'm going to church. Well, when I say that I'm going to the church, people know I'm, I'm coming over here to my office. That's, I'm, I, I, it's, my, it's the building. But the church as that has, uh, here's the deal. We know that the church could be destroyed, right? A tornado could come, hail. Hail's been trying to beat us to death. It, it could be destroyed. But what Jesus says is the church I build, the people, the confessions, people who believe in me, that will not be destroyed. Building may, but not that. So when we look at the church, that's why we're encouraged. The writer of Hebrews says this about, about people who believe in Christ. He says, let us hold fast that confession of, of our hope without wavering. He's encouraging Christians to do that. Let us consider and encourage one another to stir up love and good works among us. And then he says, and do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Why? Because that is the hallmark. That is the structure of the true church is the gathering of believers together. And we talked about this in class. It is true. You can worship God upon a mountaintop. Absolutely, you can. But you miss the fellowship and the encouragement of those around you if you do it always singularly. So, yes, it's true. You know, the church has had its ups and downs as far as in society and culture and history. But the church that Jesus refers to here is 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 this people who confess and believe in me that I'm the son of God and I have been resurrected from the dead I'm going to build on that and I promise you just as I was resurrected the church will never ever die so he says the gates of Hades shall not prevail Hades some some of the translations say hell gates of hell shall not and it's, it's, a, it's a usage of word. You've got Hades, you've got hell, you've got Gehenna. Here we're just talking about the gates of the unseen, the grave, the, 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 the mark of death, that which is past this life. And so when you take that position or you look at it from that perspective, all of a sudden what he's saying is, is very powerful. The church will not be overcome by a death. The church will not be overcome by the powers that be. The church, my people, will not be overcome 
by things that they cannot control. Jesus has promised that. And, and it, it, it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful promise. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, as I was thinking about this, sometimes it seems uh, unlikely, or it seems like the church, uh, especially across the world, uh, you know, has gone through a lot of things. And even right now, uh, in, in some parts of the world, the church is just being, uh, you know, they're being punished, uh, being imprisoned, all kinds of things. But what's interesting is that the church continues to grow in spite of all that. And so what Jesus is saying is that all the powers of darkness, powers of Satan, the devil, Diabolus, however you want to call him, the powers of darkness and the powers of all these things, even in ancient times, is not strong enough nor powerful enough to kill my church. Now, to illustrate that, let's go to our own personal hope. Each of us, we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and we read in the Bible that Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will never die. And we take that to heart. We believe that we will live in eternity with Jesus Christ, right? I believe that with all my heart. Uh, if it's true for the individual, fatiori, even more so, it's true for all the individuals. If Jesus Christ has promised you that you will not die and you will live forever and have eternal life, then if that's true for you and for me, then his promise about the church is just as true. The gates of death will not prevail against the church, just like the gates of death will not prevail against the believer. We get to go and be with our Savior. So uh, when you think about it in that way, you know, Paul wrote and said this about the believer. And I, and I like this passage. Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? Shall that separate us? No, he says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I'm persuaded that death, life, angels, principalities, powers, thieves, things present or things to come will never be able to separate us from our Lord Jesus Christ. If that's true for your individual life, then the promise that Jesus made that day, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, is just as true. And that's why I can say with confidence, according to the words of the Lord, the church is not going to die. It is not going to die, no matter, no matter what is said. I think in this, as, like I said, as with individual believers, it is the same with the assembly of believers. We use the word church, but what it actually means is the assembly of people who come together, who love Jesus Christ. And if we have been given that promise that nothing can separate us from the love and presence of Jesus Christ, even death, even the sword, no matter what, if we've been given that promise, then that promise is just as true when he said the gates 
of hell or death will not prevail against the church. I like what Paul said in, in closing, as I come to a close. And he was talking about the individual again. He was talking about someone's individual fear and everything. And I've realized that sometimes we, we fear, we fear the grave, we fear the death, we fear things. But I also realize along with that, sometimes we have that same kind of fear for the church. Is the church just becoming a non-entity? Is it going to go by the wayside? Same fear. Here's what Paul said regarding the individual. He said, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? I thank God and give thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, be confident that the church has been built by Jesus Christ. He's the architect. He knows how it's supposed to run better than we do. He leads us. He guides us. And as we read this morning, he has promised us that the church is not going to die. God's people will remain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the time we can come to your house. We can gather together as your people. We give thanks for that. I pray today, Lord, that our hearts would be uplifted and encouraged by your words. As we read them, you've promised us. We've seen these promises both in our individual lives, but also for the church. I pray today, Lord, that we would continue to value and understand how important our church life is with each other, that we can encourage each other, lift up each other, gather with each other, and share our faith with one another. Bless, I pray, Lord, and we'll always give you the thanks for it in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning. We'll sing one verse this morning of a hymn. And if you'd like to come pray, please do. There'll be some others come pray with you. I promise you that. Or you can pray in your pew, wherever you are. But as we sing, let's, let's sing together as a church. Number 502. 502. Tis so sweet to trust in God.